Are you ready to go off script? Let's see how the Bible challenges the roles the world has written for us. Episode 13, Should Christians Watch TV? Hey there, we've got a good one for you today. We are talking about what standards you should have when it comes to entertainment. Can the Bible offer any guidance for such a modern issue? Every day, I mean, just think about it. Every day, shows, movies, books, and songs bombard us with all kinds of ideas and depictions that constantly nudge us in different directions. Although we like to think of ourselves as impervious to the subtle effects of violent movies, sex scenes, foul language, and so on, the truth is we are more like sponges than stones. This is an important topic worthy of your consideration. Here now is our discussion. Welcome to Offscript. Today we're asking the question, should Christians watch TV? Do you think Christians should watch TV, either of you? They don't have to. I don't think there's anything that says that Christians shouldn't watch TV or should watch TV. I don't think the Bible in any way commands us not to watch TV. But that said, as everyone knows who isn't living under a rock, there's so much garbage on TV that it definitely has to be, you have to be careful about what you, what you watch. What do you think, Rose? Do you think Christians should watch TV? This is all harkening back to conversations I've had with my dad. Every medium of communication is amoral. There is no inherent morality in it. It's just a method of communication, whether that's, you know, back in the day, um, writing on parchments, or if it's radio or television or the internet or podcasts, anything <laughs> like that um, is inherently amoral. It's the content that becomes immoral. Yeah, um, and medium. it's what you do with it. It's a tool. Right. Each medium has virtue and is used for different things. It's the information that that medium is conveying that you have to really parse. So if we're all in agreement that there's no clear biblical prohibition against television, then the question becomes, how should we limit ourselves in watching television and watching movies and listening to music and basically taking responsibility for what we put into our heads. What, what I like to do to start is to just read a couple of texts from the scriptures because I, I really feel that this is not just an academic issue or an intellectual issue. This is something I, I personally care about a great deal because I want to, I don't want to get bamboozled or sucked into a certain lifestyle just because that's what's common in, in the culture and then find out that it's destroying my soul sneakily day by day as little bits of more poison get into the well and mm. it, it ends up having serious detriments in how I think and what I do. For example, old TV shows, I've been told, always portrayed the married couple as having two separate beds mm. in their bedroom. <laughs> yeah and uh the sort of tv shows around now it's so common for the people who are sleeping together to not be married that if a married couple did sleep together that almost would be scandalous in television today <laughs> you know of course they they show more and more as time goes on and it's you know certainly implied as well depending on what time you're watching tv or whether it's on uh, cable or some other channel but that has an impact, I'm sure it does, on how I think about the subject of premarital sex or extramarital sex. And what I'm worried about is that TV and other forms of media that are constantly bombarding me and that are getting pumped into my head, willingly, they are uh, adjusting my plausibility notions and pushing my sense of what's normal, what's acceptable, what I should expect to be a certain way apart from what the Bible says. So that's that's my concern going into this. Yeah, I think there's a premise for me that anything that you consume in the media realm has an impact on you. I think humans are designed to uh, take an in information, metabolize it, assimilate it. And if you do that with enough of one type of communication, your brain's going to be affected and your thinking is going to be affected by what you're watching or what you're listening to. When I was in high school, 
So many adults thought I was in middle school. And then when I was in college, everyone thought I was in high school. Now that I'm long out of college, everybody says, oh, are you are you in college? Mm -hmm. And I think it was probably in college. My friends and I were talking about that. And we realized it's because of the actors that play college students or people in their upper 20s. The actors that play high school students are, you know, college students. Everyone is played by an older demographic, and that skews people's sense of normal and their perception of reality. The same thing is happening in many other, you know, facets of entertainment. You talk about morality. They will tell the viewers what is normal. Yeah. Well, let's get to these a couple of these texts real quick and ground ourselves in what the Bible says, because in the end, that's, that's really the authority, for me at least, Psalm 5, verse 4 says, You are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. So this is obviously not a text on the subject of entertainment. It's about what God likes and doesn't like. And another one that goes right along with that is... Proverbs six sixteen, where it says, There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. And so these are the sorts of things that our TV shows and our movies are filled with, and these are also the sorts of things that it says... Not just like God prefers not to think about them or something. It says that these are an abomination to him, which is a very, I mean, it's not a word we use very much today, but it's a very strong word. So I think we need to take that seriously. And, and if we are going to be like in Ephesians where it says, be imitators of God as beloved children, that we should calibrate our sense of what is tolerable and intolerable on the basis of what God says. The other option is to just accept whatever the culture tells you, right? So then you're just bandied about from one fad to the next, riding whatever wave people are, are into in that time. Just one more scripture on this. Isaiah 61, verse 8, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery in the burnt offering, and I will faithfully give them their recompense and make an everlasting covenant with them. So God loves justice, and that... We should love justice if God loves justice. And if God considers a lying tongue and people that are quick to shed blood, there goes a whole bunch of action movies. <laughs> right? Maybe we should take what God feels about this a little more seriously. I think that can come as kind of a hard statement for us because it's very easy to um, to say that, it, you know, it doesn't affect us and, and argue it in that sense. I've had so many people say that to me. Everyone says that, you know, it doesn't affect them. But if you take your faith seriously, as, as we all should, you know, your preferences and what you want to do, you do have to be willing to sacrifice that in order to honor God and, and bow to his will. The, the New York Daily News came out with a stat in March of 2014 that said the average American watches five hours of TV per day. How, how do you have time for that? <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. That seems obscene to me. And I think there was a more recent stat that said it was down to like 4.3, but then screen time on your phone was way up from the previous survey. TV is moving from cable giants to the internet. I mean, mm -hmm. HBO right. just last year announced a streaming-only service, whereas in years past, the telecommunications giants fought very hard to sort of have that be impossible, like against the law, that, that you couldn't have streaming content that belonged to a cable station just streaming only. You always had to have a, um, a cable account in order to access right. that yeah. online. Mm -hmm now we're seeing that shift away from it so i mean i think in the future every every show every network is going to be online based i mean you look at netflix and amazon they're they're tv studios now mm -hmm. they're not just streaming services they're a one-stop shop for from producing to and and showing the movies and tv shows to culling other tv shows and movies from, from mm -hmm. other sources it's, it's i think everything is moving towards online as you're talking about that, I'm reminiscing of my own 
experience with TV consumption over the, especially the course of my marriage. I've been married for 13 years now and Ruth and I have never purchased cable. We've never had cable once in the many different places we've lived and the different jobs that I've had during that time. And in the old days, we went to this brick and mortar establishment called Blockbuster or Wait, Hollywood Video. What was it? Blockbuster. Block. Oh, I think I... I've heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> and we rented these rectangular plastic tapes or cassettes, mm. rectangular plastic cassettes filled with magnetic tape on a reel. And, uh, Be kind, rewind. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, once Netflix came out, we got on board with that when it was a queue, not a list, but a queue of all the DVDs. You would get two in the mail, and then when you finished watching them, you sent them back, and you didn't have to pay shipping. It was only 8 bucks a month, and that was, that was really cool. And then after that, Netflix went online streaming, so we, we jumped on with that. And that's really been really great in a lot of ways because the way that people, I think, in my generation and your generation consume entertainment is so much more on demand than just seeing what's on right now. And yeah. it gives you so much more control over what you want to watch as opposed to the broadcast and the networks and the cable gurus deciding what your options should be. We have an advantage as Christians today to be able to take control even more than previous generations had over what's coming into our hearts, really. I mean, that's what I'm concerned with. What's coming into my own heart? And as a, a father in particular with my kids, my three boys, what's coming into their little hearts? And I'm very thankful for how Netflix has a children's section and profiles and you can somewhat limit it until the kids get smart enough to figure out ways around that. <laughs> and uh, I'm not really here focusing on the kids so much as focusing on trying to live an authentically Christian life in an age where watching pornography or watching gratuitous violence or watching shows that blaspheme God or slander Jesus are completely normal, completely normal. And I want to I want to have some boundaries. Mm. Okay, so those are three pretty simple, non-controversial ones. When I was in high school, I was over at a friend's house. He had South Park on. He was really big into it. It was a cartoon representation of Jesus, and they were making fun of Jesus. And I'm and I'm just just like, no, I I can't handle this. I can't handle somebody making fun of my hero and call that entertainment. That's just upsetting. If you put my mom on there and and made fun of her. That would be upsetting to me, mm -hmm. you know, uh, how much more the person who died for my sins so that I could be in the kingdom of God loved me so much, you know? So I think when it comes to watching or consuming content that slanders or speaks ill of God or of Christ or attacks Christianity, that's a pretty easy boundary to set. And could there be some sort of exception to that? I suppose so. What if you're watching a debate between a Christian and an atheist right. and the atheist blasphemes or says something slanderous like Richard Dawkins would always do? Yeah. Okay. So there might be exceptions to that, but I'm just looking at this simple boundary. So that's one. The other one was watching people have sex. That should be a boundary. Again, I'm just speaking for myself here. You know, Jesus says, if your hand or if your eyes cause you to lust, then rip it out of your head, rip your eye out of your head. And it's, then he says, it's better for you to enter into the kingdom with one eye than to have two eyes go into hellfire. I mean, that statement, we're so used to hearing it, which is why I kind of like amped it up with the rip it out part instead of tear it out. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that is a very strong statement. I'm There's no stronger language that Jesus could have used to talk about lust yeah. than rip your eye out of its socket because otherwise you're going to go into hellfire. I mean, what else could you say? He also says in Matthew 5 that anyone that looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his, in his heart. If that's talking about what you're imagining in your, in your mind and in your heart with your eyes, I mean, how much more so does that apply if you're, if right. you're watching a depiction of, of sex? Right. And that's a, a really hard thing because there will be so many different shows and movies and really good songs that have catchy tunes that you want to tap your foot to or dance to or sing along to 
And they are depicting sex in a crude and in a um, obviously not between like married people kind of way. But like, you know, you have you have some options there, right? Like, say you're watching a show and a sex scene comes on. You know, most of us these days can actually fast forward that if we if we want to or, you know, hit the mute or go in the other room or something. And it's like, well, then the next episode comes on. Now there's like two or three sex. And like, where where do you draw the line in that case? And I, I think at some point you do have to draw the line because I think we need to take lust seriously. It's not a laughing matter. It's not like, oh, everybody does it. We're all adulterers. Ha ha ha. If this is important to Jesus, then it needs to be important to me. Even if I'm not as vigilant as I need to be in this area, I need to get vigilant. You know, I certainly fall into that category. There are definite areas I could tighten up with, you know, the things I watch and the, the things I read and the things that I genuinely enjoy. But goes back to what Rose was saying that you make sacrifices. If you're somebody that's interested in, in crime in crime and reading about crime and, and serial killers and, and, you know, and that's something that just generally interests you and fascinates you, then it's going to be hard for you to watch those especially gratuitous shows that sort of glorify that kind of violence and giving that up will be a sacrifice because that's something that you would you would have watched and would have enjoyed if not for your christian faith i agree i mean there are definitely areas that i myself you know need to work on in this i don't think i don't think that a lot of people can look at this and say no i'm good you know because the entertainment that that we watch is instantly accessible and it's everywhere and killing time with youtube you know, you're waiting at like DMV or something and, and just popping up the app and seeing what's going on. I mean, the opportunities to sort of cross that line are, are abundant. Yeah. And you have to be vigilant because there's nobody watching over your shoulder other than Google right. and Facebook and YouTube. But and the, the NSA and, and the, NSA. the Russians and the Chinese, but uh, other, other than these big players, you have to limit yourself. And like when, when you're a child, your parents are there to, to catch you and bust you and everything like that. But when, when you're an adult, you have to figure out what your limits are. And look, are we trying to live authentically Christian lives or are we just trying to get salvation and then, you know, not have it cost us anything? That's really a question I think we need, we need to ask ourselves. Mm. So I grew up in a very conservative home and we had this, or my mom taped this little piece of paper on the TV that said in the King James Version, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. What's the reference on that, Sean? Psalm 101.3. Yeah. So, I mean, I was at that point, you know, a dedicated Christian and I wasn't going to set any evil thing before mine eyes. Um, but I, I definitely teased my mom about that a lot. That verse became, you know, a little cliched in my family. Um, and that wasn't really one of the meaningful verses for me. But I would say um, in my more formative years, what struck me the most uh, was actually when I was studying uh, Romans 1 with other middle school kids at my church and we were wrapping up Romans 1 and you know it's all the typical stuff and talks about the world going its worldly way and being full of sin filled with all manner of unrighteousness evil covetousness malice full of envy murder strife deceit maliciousness gossip slanderers haters of God insolent haughty boastful inventors of evil disobedient parents foolish faithless heartless ruthless list goes on and on and then Paul says, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And I was filling out this workbook and they would ask you very hard hitting questions um, and you had to write the answer to that, and uh, which really made you grapple with everything. The book said, this is our nature. Um, do you do these things? And then the next question was, do you give approval to those who practice them? And I said, what about TV? That was the next question. And that was um, the most sobering moment that I had because, you know, even if you seem to be a good Christian, you can kind of vicariously have a double life by the things you choose to consume. And even if not explicitly endorsing um, this kind of lifestyle, by viewing this and intentionally viewing this, and as we can now uh, with Netflix being so readily available, we can give approval to those who practice them. And that set the bar higher for me, I think, than, than any other scripture I've come across so far. I have this image in my mind, I kind of mentioned it before, of our soul as a well with water in it. And we have to decide what sorts of things we're going to allow into our souls. It's not like the moment you hear somebody drop a GD bomb on a TV show, your well is poisoned and you're going to hell and you're just going to start robbing banks. You know, obviously that's not, <laughs> that's not the case, <laughs> at least not anybody I know. But there is a range and, and there is a buffer of, of time before things start to affect you. 
right? Which is why everyone thinks, oh, this doesn't affect me. Right. They wouldn't all right. think that if it instantly affected you. And that's a comfortable lie that people like to, like, oh, this isn't this isn't going to change me at all. I might as well. But well, if if it's sustained activity, then yes, it is going to change you. But yeah. you 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 never see it, like you said, Sean. It's not instantaneous, so it's harder. So it's easier to lie to yourself and say. You know, no, I can watch this explicit sex scene and it's not going to, you know, right. cause me problems down the road. Right. You know, you see a movie one night, the next day, hey, suddenly a scene pops into your head in the middle of the day and you're rolling that tape. And it's probably not the scene where somebody was just being friendly to somebody else and saying, <laughs> probably wasn't have a benign. great day, friend. Yeah. It, was, it was probably the scene where somebody got their head blown off or got mutilated in some sort of horrific scene or there was some explicit sexual encounter portrayed. So those are the scenes that, if you're anything like me at least, that are going to play back in, in my head. And th- it does affect us. I was watching this uh, motorcycle show, Sons of Anarchy. I was I, kind of embarrassed to say that, but... Uh, I was curious about it because it like the whole motorcycle thing. I just don't understand it at all. It's like it's like they're cowboys riding horses with leather. I don't I don't get it. But uh, hey. so, <laughs> but it, and if you're into motorcycles, God bless you. I'm not saying anything bad about that. But the way the show uh, went, you know, it, it portrayed some really bizarre lifestyles. And one of the things that they did a lot was they would they would use Jesus' name as a curse. And this is something I've never done in my life, just growing up. Never, Actually, it never even came up. I mean, I was taught not to do it, but it, nobody did it really around me anyhow. And so I, I watched a couple of these shows, and I'm like, yeah, this doesn't affect me. I'm just like researching motorcycle people. I'm running down the road, and somebody shines their, their car lights in my face with their high beams on, and I, I feel tempted to say Jesus as a mm. curse word. It, it so shocked me that I stopped running and I just stood there and I was just like, whoa, yeah. pause everything right yeah. now. Pause the run, pause the music, pause whatever I was thinking about. What was that? When it happens, you don't na- make the connection. Oh, I'm watching this TV show and I'm being exposed to other people using this language this way. Immediately, you don't, you don't do that. You have to take a second. You have to pause and be like, okay, why did I just have that inclination, which I've never had my whole life. Yeah. I got quiet and I, and I discovered, I was like, that's it. I'm not watching that show anymore. You know, and, I, and my life's going to be just fine without that show. Yeah. And we have to be careful. And I'm not saying that we need to be wackos where we're completely out of touch with everything in the culture. Honestly, today, there's so much good TV. There really is. I mean, my wife watches the British baking show and, <laughs> it, you know, it's completely harmless, but it's riveting. And you've got... All these other shows now that whatever niche you're into, there's a show mm. about it. Going back to what you said, Sean, I remember in uh, I went to a Christian middle and high school, and I remember being outside on the basketball court one afternoon. I think I was waiting to get picked up or the bus or something, and just playing a pickup game. And the principal of the school, who also owned it, and it was like a very you know family oriented. It was a good school. He was upset about something, and I don't remember what, but he was walking across the parking lot. And I don't know if he was yelling into his phone or yelling across the lot at somebody like in a building, but he, he dropped a GD bomb. And this is the principal of a Christian high school. And I remember like, <laughs> I remember, I remember just stopping what I was doing and being, being like, did I, did I just hear that correctly? Because like you, I grew up in a home and an environment and people around me that never use that kind of language. And it was so taboo that when I heard it from this man who, you know, is supposed to be sort of, uh, above that. Mm-hmm use it. it it was shocking but then years later you know that word came out of my mouth in a vain context and right. and just being like shocked again and being like wow this is where i'm at right now where i was shocked when i was you know in middle and high school that this word would be used in my presence mm-hmm. and then here i am years later using it myself mm-hmm. and it was a you know it was, it was one of those moments that it was like man not okay um i think the most subtle thing that creeps up on me is song lyrics I am the kind of person that just gravitates really naturally towards especially really catchy choruses. And I don't listen to the verses at all. I don't know any verses, but I know every chorus. And it sticks in my head. And I have many times caught myself very enthusiastically singing along to total garbage. <laughs> um, and sometimes I haven't really even like processed the words because literally it's on such an unconscious level, but that gets in you. 
or, you know, I've heard the words come out of my mouth. Sometimes I've realized the words for the first time singing along to it. And I'll be like, whoa, realizing that I have to have much greater filter in listening to these things. And then, you know, getting to the point where you know all the words, processing them, and then also watching your lips, the kinds of things that you you recycle and then give out to the world. Yeah, I think it goes back to what you put in, into your heart. Um, anything you consume goes into your heart in one way or another. And in Luke six forty five, it says, the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil for his mouth speaks from that, which fills his heart. I mean, I think that's so true, especially in the that's context the that we're, that we're talking about here, yeah. that, that what you're putting before your eyes will come out of your mouth. If you watch or listen or read a certain amount of it, there's just no helping it. That's how we are as humans. Mm-hmm. I want to read this quote from an ancient Christian, a guy named Tertullian, who said, this, he writes at the very end of the second century, he says, Are we not in like manner commanded to put away from us all immodesty? On this ground, again, we are excluded from the theater, which is immodesty's own peculiar abode. The very harlots, too, victim of the public lust, are brought upon the stage. Let the Senate, let all ranks, blush for their very shame. Is it right to look on what is disgraceful to do? How is it that the things that defile a man in going out of his mouth are not regarded as doing so when they go in his eyes and ears? Tertullian was rather verbose on this subject, but there are other Christians who spoke about it too, like Tatian and Theophilus, Clement of Alexandria, who was... Clement of Alexandria was pretty moderate in most things, but what he says is, the instructor will not then bring us to public spectacles. Not inappropriately, one might call the race course and the theater the seat of plagues. Lest spectacles, therefore, and plays that are full of indecent language and abundant gossip be forbidden. For what base action is there that is not exhibited in the theaters? And so this whole portraying of behavior that we wouldn't tolerate in our own lives if somebody we cared about was doing it we would get involved we uh we will readily go to a theater or today the theater is the tv or the phone or youtube or whatever and we will watch it and we will entertain ourselves with it and you know i understand it's like not you that's doing it but it's you that is taking something that god doesn't like and using it to bring joy to yourself and there's yeah. something twisted about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, entertaining yourself with something that God hates. And this is not a new issue. No. Since the 21st century and on-demand TV and you know people using more and more foul language in primetime slots goes. I mean, this goes back to the second century. This goes back to the earliest times, the first century of Christianity, that our people are wrestling with this. Yeah. I, I remember reading just one other thing. Uh, Augustine talked about how at one point in his, and he's like late fourth, early fifth century, he talks about at one point in his life, he wanted to stop going to the gladiatorial contest. And that's where they execute condemned uh, criminals in these really creative ways with animals and gladiators and everything else. Is bloodlust. It's uh, ultimate fighting, our comparable thing today, except they would let him go until they kill someone. Mm-hmm. And and so he was at a point where he was, he was like compromised, where... He's like, all right, I'll go, but I'm going to keep my eyes closed. <laughs> so he sat there in the stadium with his eyes closed to sort of prove to his friends that, you know, he was over this. And he said, the only thing is I couldn't close my ears. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And eventually I couldn't help but watch. And then I was sucked in just like everybody else. Yeah. It's and, not a new phenomenon. Yeah. And you can see how far it's come. I mean, you, you brought up at the top how, you know, in like the Andy Griffith show, they would depict married couples as sleeping in separate beds. And violence in, you know, in the dawn of the, the film age was depicted as a shadow on a wall, you know. And, and then you look at TV shows today where the gorier, the better, the more sexually explicit, the better. You know, they, they tailor. I think it's a rule with the national board that rates movies where... You can have a PG thirteen movie that only says the F word in one mm-hmm. in one instance. So, yeah, I've heard that too. So it's like a game where directors and writers play that. Okay, where are we going to use our F word? You know, to stay under the PG thirteen. Yeah, to stay to stay within the PG thirteen line. It's so funny how the PG thirteen market is where they all want to be. Yeah, I, I'm acutely aware of this because all of my children are under thirteen, and 
they're, they're like always wanting to watch those PG right, 13. graduating you know, and, and to and the like, PG-13. Son, you're only 10. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's funny you talk about your own experience when you were a kid. I, I grew up without cable, without TV, and, and some of my fondest memories were going to Joe's Video in Washingtonville, uh, where I was born, Washingtonville, New York, and, and going to the video store, like getting picked up after school, and then like my mom makes the right to the video store instead of the left, and it's it was so much fun to do that. And... But on the flip side of that, we didn't have cable at home. Like I couldn't, you know, I didn't grow up watching the same TV shows that my friends did and talking about them, you know, on Monday at school. And I resented that in my parents. I resented not having cable. But as I became an adult and I had access to cable and, you know, saw what was on it, I became thankful that my parents didn't sort of subject mm -hmm. me to that when I was a kid or, and that I didn't have access to it as a kid. I grew up without cable too, although we had it, but it was for the sole purpose so my dad could watch news in the evenings. Mm. So uh, that was my experience and I uh, was resentful too, um, especially since it was right there. Oh, we could also watch the Olympics. That was every four years. That was, um, that's worse than my situation because you had it right there. In oh, front yeah. Of you. No, it was pretty rough. Pretty rough. But it's interesting. Um, I st I can't really stand to watch TV to this day. Yeah. I don't have a Netflix account because um, I didn't develop a palette for it. And I was resenting it, too, and wishing I could do it at the time. But l looking back on it, yeah, I'm grateful. How, how do you consume any kind of shows or movies? <laughs> From time to time. I don't really watch shows. The Big Bang Theory is the one exception. So how do you watch The Big Bang Theory? I have it on DVD. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's so, the only... So you, you buy them on DVD and then you watch... Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's like it. Are you like ashamed that I outed your... No, no, you probably know method. that. I adore The Big Bang Theory. Um, but other than that, I don't really watch TV. Unless it's someone else's idea. Rose, setting the bar high. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, even The Big Bang Theory, like I can't endorse that morally. I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. It's, it's great, but it's not, it it's a sitcom. Uh -huh. So it's a funny thing about sitcoms. It's like, you can watch one, two, three episodes of a sitcom and it can be genuinely funny and it can, you know, mm -hmm. it can be entertaining and, and completely benign. But then in my experience, the aggregate effect of it, the funny thing about sitcoms, uh, how they draw your attention and normalize behaviors that in the Bible are considered sinful. Uh, but in sitcoms are kind of always going on in the background. A Seinfeld episode or you know take whatever sitcom you want where the show is about like going down a city hall to get a parking ticket taken care of the whole time the show is running the main characters you know who aren't married are cohabitating and they're doing all sorts of quote-unquote normal human behaviors that are running in the background the whole time and that are sinful and that's not the point of that episode of the TV show but watching that, the aggregate effect is, oh, okay, this is how people live. Mm -hmm. And it normalizes it and it makes it okay. And when you look at the Bible, those behaviors aren't okay. There's conflict and, and tension there between that. TV and movies and uh, certain other kinds of entertainment have a tendency to desensitize us where something that should, I think there are certain things that should genuinely offend us in a good way. Mm -hmm. And if you're around these sorts of things enough, then it doesn't affect you at all. And the, I guess the danger of that is then you tolerate it, not just seeing it, but in your own life. And you can end up doing these sorts of things because they're not an issue anymore. If we willingly give our minds over to be programmed to think a certain way, should we be surprised when we struggle with sin and can't have any victory in our lives? Mm. Should that should that shock us? It should not shock us. Look, if you just watch somebody commit the sin of adultery a thousand times over the course of your life in dozens of different shows and movies and little clips that were funny on YouTube, but you know, like you're saying, had that effect in the background. And then, and then you go commit adultery and you're going to be shocked at yourself like, oh, I can't believe I did that. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? You just entertained yourself by watching this sort of behavior a thousand other times in your life. The first time you saw it, you should have said, that's, that's wrong. I'm not going to watch that or I'm not going to expose myself to that. Or Rose was talking before about books and uh, books on, on audio or audio books. Mm -hmm. And it's not called books on tape anymore. <laughs> <laughs> there you go again, Sean. <laughs> Dating yourself with a blockbuster yeah. and books on tape. <laughs> Old school Gen Xer over here. We, we have to be careful there too. You know, it's not, it's not, there is sort of like a, a romanticism about books that, oh, this is a book. It's okay. 
Well, not necessarily. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it's just a different medium of content. I, I so love how you started us out with that, Rose, that the medium itself is not sinful. It's, right. it's the content that you have to evaluate. And I think some people listening to this are going to say, you guys are a bunch of prudes. You're setting the bar too high. This is ridiculous. There's Once you set up your rule of no blasphemy, no sex scene portrayals, no gratuitous violence. You've just you've just taken away. And I'm just going to throw in no creepy horror nonsense either. Just we could talk about that later if you guys want. But uh, <laughs> the, now there's nothing left, right? And I, I I don't. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to shut the whole thing down. But I will say this: Look, if you cannot imagine getting through life without watching shows or movies or you know and, and stuff that you know that is bad for you then the power is within the ancient christian practice of fasting to overcome that and believe me if you stop eating food you're not going to worry about the tv <laughs> you're going to mm -hmm. be like ah, i need i need to eat food and then you're like oh wait i'm fasting Okay, so what does that mean? And then you pray, and you pray through that, and that, and that's that's a, almost like a superpower weapon that God has given to us to interrupt our daily routines, our weekly routines, so that we can go to Him in prayer much more earnestly than normal, and overcome these sorts of habits. And God will help us to break free of stuff that has a, a toehold in our lives. So I'm just throwing that out there as something to consider. Or fasting just from TV. That's another idea. Just say, hey, for a month, I'm not going to watch YouTube. I'm not going to go on Hulu or Netflix or Amazon or whatever you use or cable if you're old school. And for one week or one month or whatever, like, look, I'm not trying to set rules for everyone to follow. I'm just trying to figure out how to apply the Bible, which, you know, they did not have TV <laughs> and the Jews weren't big into theater. All right. So uh, as Christianity spreads into the Roman world and theater is a big deal, you, you find Tatian, you find Clement of Alexandria, you find Tertullian, you find Augustine talking about it. And, and we're still talking about it today because we're trying to walk the walk and at the same time not be Amish. Mm -hmm. I think this issue is a completely lives in the relationship that you have with God. It's totally up to you what, what you allow into your life. You know, there are definitely areas in my life, things that I enjoy watching and, and consuming that if I took a good hard look at it, aren't good for me and aren't and aren't good for my faith. And I think it comes back to the question of how good do you want to be for God? How serious do you want to take your faith and taking a time out and examining the things that you love, your your shows, you know? It is a hard thing to do. It's it, People are attached to their shows. I'm attached to some shows. You know, like I, I like to go home after work and, and throw on an episode or two or five. No. <laughs> it's, it's just what we do as Americans. And, and what you allow into your heart is what is manifested out into your life. And it's just genuine Christianity is about being vigilant. And this is one of the areas that we might not examine enough because it's it's everywhere it's entertainment i mean it's what you do you talk on monday you talk about the shows at the cool at the water cooler at work but it's like anything else it's like cultivating a daily relationship with god or reading your bible or or praying or it's it's guarding your heart and it's a facet of christianity that like other facets takes vigilance i think there's something very powerful about uh living a skillfully christian life in an unsaved world. Um, I grew up in a super bubble and I kind of like hated being in this super bubble. Um, but it was, you know, it was where I was born and everything. And so, um, and I love my parents. Um, but I kind of knew that being in this bubble wasn't a way that I wanted to live my faith. And I did want to be out in the world and to have unsaved friends and to have these things. Like me and Dan. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Right. And, but I wanted to wrestle with these things. I wanted to wrestle wanted with these to be things. Tested? Yeah, because the bubble was no way to live and it was no way to advance the gospel. It's like having training wheels. <laughs> yeah, well, not, not even. It's like just sitting on the ground. Like, Stationary bike? Yeah, no, <laughs> seriously. Um, but I think, I think the testimony um, of someone who lives according to their conscience for the purpose of honoring God in the world, first of all, very difficult and very difficult to be consistent. Mm. But I think if you're able to do it, that's a powerful testimony um, of a transformed life that is surrendered to the will of God. Well said. 
we spend so much time entertaining ourselves. I wonder what we could accomplish if we use that time more productively. I hate thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it so much. <laughs> You'd be on your third book by oh now. Oh my God, be on my third language by now. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Forget about it. I mean, I, I reached a point where I was reading so many books and they were all like, you know, trashy detective novels, which I love. But I thought I was being somehow virtuous because I was reading and not watching Re- yeah, things. Reading, yeah. But it's funny because books, <laughs> books can sometimes be worse because books work when you imagine what you're reading in your own mind and it becomes very personal. And that's why people get, that's why books are awesome. They are awesome. Um, but, it, but, it became, <laughs> but it could be more dangerous, I feel like, sometimes in watching somebody else's depiction of sin. Yeah. You know, when you're reading a book, many times you're, you're playing a movie in your own head and you're watching your own depiction of sin. Yeah. We've talked about um, porn on this show before. And a lot of what women will choose to do is reading erotic fiction. Um, women prefer that. Um, as whereas guys prefer the more visual stuff, women prefer you know to use their imagination and go into all of that. And um, you know the medium is amoral; it's the content, and it's wrong across the board. Right. The Bible's a book too. Yeah. <laughs> this is brings me to something that maybe is a little bit of a gray area. But what's interesting about the Bible is that it's not some G-rated book. Oh no, there's some insane, some serious scenes. There's in some there. insane and there was stories actually, in the Bible. Yeah, there was actually a move to put the Bible in plastic wrap in bookstores, like big box bookstores, because they didn't want children reading it because it talks about a lot of inappropriate stuff for kids. Yeah. And uh, I don't think that ever really made its way through the legal system or whatever what was going on there. But yeah, that one's a little there, strange. There, there, is, there is a sense in which the Bible does portray evil. The Bible very frequently doesn't moralize or filter it or attach some sort of statement like, and that's why you shouldn't have multiple wives. No, they just tell it like it is. Israel had four wives, and then he had a miserable life, and then he died. You know, like, and, yeah. and you're supposed to get the point from that. Other, other things that happened, like Lot moved into Sodom, and then there was... It's a great example. Yeah, there was this whole issue where the angels came to rescue him and the people tried to rape the angels you know they look like regular guys and then he gets out of that city and now his daughters are so polluted with the mindset of Sodom that they conclude to themselves the only way forward is to get their father drunk and then to sleep with them themselves and get pregnant by their own father and that's what happens. They each get pregnant. The Bible doesn't say, and that's why you shouldn't get your father drunk and sleep with him. Like, it just tells it tells what happened. And then, you know, you do have parts of the Bible that do tell you what to do and what not to, like the law code or in the New Testament, you have a lot of those kinds of like ethical admonitions. But a lot of the Bible is just, just telling it like it is. And you learn positive examples and negative examples, what to do and what, what to avoid. And in the lot example, he didn't have that problem until he moved to Sodom. Until Abraham, their two people started having conflicts over land, and, and Abraham said, "You go where you want to go, and I'll I'll stay here." And Lot moved into that area, and that's when the world started to really change who he was, and and really had a bad influence on his on his family. If we look at what the what sort of content the Bible itself has, it gives us some room where we considering heroic acts or even bloody war scenes which are in the bible as well that that's not necessarily a line we should draw and you have to be and that's why i said earlier gratuitous violence hmm. right so like violence itself is not necessarily a deal breaker it's something that you would have to evaluate for yourself and mm-hmm. where i really think the struggle lies today is where good is portrayed as evil and evil is portrayed as good and it says in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Mm-hmm. And if you portray something, I, I think of uh, that Johnny Cash movie, uh, Walk, Walk the, line, the Line, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that was a portrayal of the dysfunction and chaos of his life before he became a Christian. It was a dark, dismal movie. And so was his life. And, you know, that's like portraying evil in an evil way. Or I think of the movie Flight with Denzel Washington. 
that movie portrays alcohol abuse and drug use as well very accurately. I mean, it ruined this guy. He was a pilot and he was drunk and then he actually heroically landed the plane. But it didn't matter because he was... Because he had had... Yeah. Drank was, before the flight. Right, right. And there's this big investigation and everything else and in the end of the movie, he basically comes clean and tells them, hey, not only did I fly that plane drunk, but I'm drunk right now and I'm high on cocaine right now. <laughs> and it's just like this chilling moment in the movie where all the walls come down, all the lies yeah. come down, and then he has to go to jail. Well, as, last... I, as, as I recall, he was given an out. He was given the opportunity to pin it on a, a stewardess girl. who had died yeah. in the crash. Yeah. yeah. And he wouldn't. That's, and, that was and his that, turning and that, point. And that was the plan up until he actually right. said, you know what, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, what right. you were talking about the walls come down. And, and I would not let my kids watch that movie. I mean, there's like a full nudity scene right in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And. You know, I don't think they necessarily need to see dysfunction portrayed that accurately at their at their age. And, but I'll tell you what, if I had a friend struggling with alcohol, that would be one of the first things I would say is like, hey, go watch this movie. Because it will show you where that path leads. And the only way to get out of it is true honesty. And he goes into prison and he gets into an AA program and he turns to God. And so, that, that's, so that's a whole other issue to consider is... When a movie portrays evil as evil and good as good, and then like monitoring yourself, well, like how much evil do I really want to allow into my life to make the point that's being made here? Yeah. However, on the flip side, when somebody is making robbing a casino look like this glitzy, glamorous thing, Ocean's Eleven, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> then you know you should say, well, hey, that's, that's such a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's Isaiah Five. That's calling evil good and good evil. That's that's like showing you this bad thing and making it look like a good thing. And and that I feel like is even more subtle and more dangerous than a movie like flight, which, which is kind of gross to watch. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. It has like a proper place for things in the end, at least morally speaking. I also think you have to be honest with yourself about where the line is in terms of, you know, God tells us to, or the Bible tells us to not love the world. Mm. And if you're, loving the things in the world and, and, and worldly actions and portrayals of, of sin as, as, as being glorious, you know, I think you reach a certain point where you, where that, that is loving the world. And in first John two verse 15, it says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the father, but is from the world. And this is a key verse here, verse 17, because it really brings you back to where where your mind is if you're thinking about how great the world is or if you're sort of thinking with more of a Christian mindset of where the kingdom of God is and, and what the future holds. Verse 17 says, The world is passing away, and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Mm. And it goes back to the question of where where is your mind in terms of Yes, when you get home from work, it's very easy to flip on the TV and to watch a show. And great, do that. But also sort of look at where your heart is and where your mind is in terms of, of the kingdom of God and what this whole struggle is for, why this podcast exists. It exists to, you know, help us and to help anybody that's listening and, you know, work through these things and struggle through these things. And all with the idea of getting into the kingdom and living an authentic Christian life. And I hope we don't come off as preachy because, you know, I think as we've all said that, you know, there, or at least I've said there are areas in my life that I need to work on in this, but yeah, it's important to be forward looking in, in our faith and, and have your eye on the prize and, and what this is all for. And because like it says in 17, the world is passing away and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Well, I'm afraid we're gonna have to draw our conversation to a close here because we're all out of time for today. Did either of you have any final thoughts before... We end the show. I'm going to read, um, well, selections from a passage in 1 Corinthians 6 that talks about the use of the body for the glory of God. Um, but at least in my life, I also like to apply this to the mind. Paul is talking about immorality. He says, The body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. I take that to heart as well, um, to include the mind. And I guess, Dan, you talked a little bit about guarding your heart, guarding your mind. 
as a steward of the temple, I really want to keep it pure. We have the whole of Leviticus going on and on about purity and the importance of that and what it means to be a temple. But I want to take that same standard um, that's set before us for for how we should use our bodies and apply it to our mind and really offer that up um, as a sanctuary to God and and to keep it undefiled is is a standard. But ultimately, I think that should be our goal and and why we go out um, and we wrestle with these and we, if necessary, make the difficult choices. Thank you so much for listening, guys. It's been um, it's been awesome having this discussion. We hope you were um, blessed, inspired, and challenged by it. I'm going to say goodbye in Greek tonight. Yasas. Also, if you have a particular show or movie that you want us to take a look at, send it our way in the comments or Twitter, can they tweet us? We don't have any followers. Hashtag recipe. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think I'm the only follower. Me and Victor. <laughs> uh, yeah, but if, if you want us, if you want us to look at a, a particular show or a movie or consider something that you're not sure about, I'm not saying we're experts on this particular subject, but we'd love to discuss it. And so uh, drop us a line on restitudio.org and let us know. Yeah, and I'll leave you with this final thought that, you know, having this discussion, I mean, thinking about things, I'm definitely going to, in the coming days and, and weeks, like, be looking at where I can cut the fat in this area. So if any anybody is feeling convicted or, or troubled by what we're saying, I'm in the same boat as you. And and I think it's great. We're supposed to we're supposed to do this. Iron sharpens iron. Yeah. Mm. So definitely, you know, everything that we're, we're talking about here is, is, is out of love, and, and we want to help you and help each other. And that's what it's all about. So thanks for listening. I trust this conversation got you thinking about what your own standards and limitations should be. Before I end this episode, I just wanted to read out some feedback from David LeBlanc on Interview 5, Seeking Truth Wherever It Leads. David writes, Brian and Rochelle are my daughter and son-in-law, respectively. We have taken this journey together. I am very proud as I listen to this interview. Brian and Rochelle are so well-spoken and humble, and they are true. I hope this interview helps many people. I want to thank Sean for doing this. I remember when I first sat with Brian on my couch and asked him to watch Sean's video with me, Five Problems with the Trinity. By the way, that video has received over 30,000 views. And near the end of it, Brian said, I think I know this guy. Then to find out that Sean was actually a pastor of Brian's brother Jim's church. God works in amazing ways. Very good. Toda. Thanks, David, for taking the time to write in. And I definitely recommend this show, interview number five, Seeking Truth, Wherever It Leaves with Brian and Rochelle Allen, because their journey of faith is a real representation of the sort of honest truth-seeking that I think we all need to have. And if you want to access that show or listen to any of the other shows that we have, go to restitutio.org. And if it's not too much trouble, also, leave us a review in iTunes so that you can help us spread the word. Thanks for listening, and remember, the truth has nothing to fear.